0: There are two major milestones in every human life, weddings and funerals. Well, weddings are a milestone, funerals are a tombstone. But never mind, those are the occasions on which my family usually gets together. I have um, There are seven, five boys and two girls. And when we do, we spend our time catching up with each other's lives. Then ter- talk turns to politics, and finally religion. At that point, the conversation takes a darker turn, and we begin telling ghost stories. And that is because we shared a house where we grew up with an entity whose presence was subtle yet discernible. And I'm not talking about Casper the Friendly Ghost, but that's a story perhaps for another time. Ghost stories come in all sizes. The best stories are not about friendly ghosts, but vengeful ones. The resentful dead come back from the afterlife to seek vengeance for a cruel or an unjust death. One of the most famous examples of a vengeful ghost in English literature is Shakespeare's Hamlet. The play turns on scene five in the first act, where the ghost of Prince Hamlet's father appears asking Hamlet to avenge his betrayal and murder at the hands of King Polonius. Now the story of the Lord Jesus is also a story about betrayal and murder at the hands of others. In the popular mind, the blame lies at the feet of Judas Iscariot. The the name is synonymous with betrayal. Uh, A Judas is what we call someone who betrays another trust and friendship. But there's another way of reading the events of Good Friday. This alternate reading begins with one single question. Where were Peter, James, Thomas, and all the others on Good Friday? By then, of course, Peter had already denied his Lord three times, so he doesn't count in a sense, but where were the others? In the end, it's useless to speculate about where they were because what matters is where they were not. And that is, they were not standing on Golgotha alongside John, watching their Lord die. This might explain one other reason why they are hiding behind locked doors in the hours and days after Easter Sunday. They heard the reports by the women that the tomb was empty, and their claim, the women's claim, that they had seen Jesus. So clearly, they are rattled Are they afraid that the ghost of Jesus of Nazareth has returned from the dead to avenge his betrayal? If so, it would have made an excellent plot for a Gothic novel. But as we listen to the Easter Gospel in the Divine Liturgy, we discover something altogether different. First, the one who appears to them is not a ghostly apparition, but the risen and glorified body of a man, crucified and dead, 3 days in the tomb ghosts don't eat certainly the ones we lived the one we lived with didn't but the risen jesus is seen sharing food with his disciples on several occasions his body is both physical and glorified as thomas learns when he probes his wounds with his finger and shoves his fist in the lord's side second and for our purposes more important this betrayed crucified and risen lord is the victim who forgives his betrayer his betrayers the stories of Jesus appearance to his disciples are models of reconciliation in which the apostles must learn to accept the fact that they too have betrayed their lord In fact, we might say that Christ, the victim, was raised from the dead to make forgiveness possible for them. And not for them only. You and I also have a history of betrayal of our Lord. The cross on Good Friday is there for us, but it is also there because of us. We not only made it a possibility, we demanded it by our failure to live up to our baptismal vows. This Sunday's gospel is not the story of a ghost seeking revenge for his apostle's betrayer. It is rather the story of how the victim of human sin is raised up as forgiveness for all his disappointing disciples, the apostles and you and I.